Turn to Matthew chapter 11. Um, this morning, um, we're going to be kind of continuing my sermon from last week. So last week, we talked about the spiritual habit of sharing the gospel with others. So we talked about evangelism. I know that is something that all of us, many of us, if you are a growing Christian, you feel convicted about that. You want to share the gospel. You, you try to figure out how you can share the gospel. But there's always obstacles. And so I ended my sermon last week by addressing several of the mental obstacles that keep us from this spiritual habit. Um, and so those, those obstacles were things like, well, I, don't, I might not have that gift. So I told you it's not a gift. Sharing the gospel isn't a gift. It's a command. And then another, another obstacle is, well, let's leave that to the professionals. I'm afraid I'll mess that up. Well, Jesus called the weak and the lowly and fishermen to turn the world upside down. And he commanded all Christians to, be, to share the gospel. Others think, well, I'm just not able. I just, don't, I just can't do that. And just like push-ups, just like other spiritual exercises, we get better at what we work at. So, of course, you're going to stumble and struggle and fail the first few times you try to share the gospel, but you can figure out how to do it. Or you might say, well, I'm ashamed of who I am and what I've done. There is none better to share the gospel than those who know their need of Jesus. Than those who know their need of Jesus. Now, today, I want to tackle a more prominent obstacle to sharing Jesus. And this is coming mostly from those that are on the fringes of Christianity or out in our culture and they would say things like this. This is the thought that if you just live a good moral life, then that must be evangelistic enough. I'm evangelistic just by living a, a moral, upright life. That if I just do that, I never actually have to open my mouth and share Jesus. And so, that thought is borne out by a famous saying that many of us have probably heard, commonly attributed to Francis of Assisi, Assisi who was a mystic Catholic friar, and he said this. He famously said, preach the gospel at all times. Well, I have no problem with that. Preach the gospel at all times, right? So that's very good and very true. Our lives should be a living testimony to the truth of the gospel, but that's not where his saying stops. He says this, the full quote, preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. That's a very problematic statement. That's very problematic. It's great on a t-shirt, but that's not true. You cannot preach the gospel, you cannot share Jesus without communicating in some sense, whether it's verbal communication, written communication, sign language, hieroglyphics, you must communicate using words, all right? You cannot explain the gospel without communicating the truth of Jesus. It is not enough to see some of the characteristics of Jesus in the life of a believer, though that's important. In order for someone to become a believer, to become a follower of Jesus, they must know the one in whom they are believing. Now, Paul makes this exceedingly clear in Romans 10, even though we're going to be in Matthew 11, so make sure you're in Matthew 11. But listen to Paul's logical argument in Romans 10. He says, he begins with this truth, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's great news. You have to call on the name of the Lord. Call on the name of the Lord Jesus, you will be saved. That is a promise. But then he says, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? You can't call on Jesus if you have not believed in him. You don't know who the Lord is. And then he says, and how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? 
Right now, I want you to believe something you've never heard. Ready, set, go. Are you confused? How can you believe or assent or trust something if you've never actually heard it? And so he goes on to say, and how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? And then he says, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel. And then he says, so faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So this morning, we're going to try to answer the question of why we must share Jesus, the spiritual habit of sharing Jesus, and why we must communicate the gospel of Christ to others using words. Why must we communicate it in a way in which people can understand? So let's go to Matthew chapter 11, verses 25 through 30. And I'm going to try to go quickly because I'm going to build an argument today. I'm going to build a case for why, you, why there must be personal faith in Jesus. That's my title, The Need of Personal Faith in Jesus. So this is what Jesus says in Matthew 11, beginning in verses 25 through 30. He says, At that time Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, the Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the, ch the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. So I want to make a case for why you need personal faith in Jesus. And if you're here this morning and you have not put your faith in Jesus, I'm going to offer an invitation to you at the end of this service that is Jesus' invitation to come to him. Come to him and find peace and forgiveness and eternal life. So here's the case. Here's how it begins. First, why must, you, why must you share Jesus using words? Because first, the saving knowledge of God is hidden from the world. The saving knowledge of God is hidden from the world around us. They do not know it. And they cannot know it apart from knowing Jesus. Look what Jesus says in verses 25 through 26. It says, at this time Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding. Jesus says that things have been hidden, and the Father has hidden them from people on earth, especially from the wise and the understanding. Now, this may seem odd to say or think, but Jesus has said this over and over again in the Gospels. In Mark chapter 4 and in Luke chapter 8, Jesus says this. He says this to his disciples. He says, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those on the outside, everything is in parables that they may indeed see but not perceive and indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. So Jesus says that things are being intentionally hidden from the world. And it is the Father's plan to do so. Look what he says in verse 27. Jesus says specifically that this was God's gracious will and purpose to hide the saving knowledge of God from the world around us. Now... In God's gracious will and purpose, it is God's gracious will and purpose to only offer salvation in a very specific way. 
That's not my will. That's not my plan. That's not my idea. That is God's purpose and will. To only offer salvation in one very specific way. And I'll get to this later in my sermon. But you should know that the Bible is very consistent on this point. Paul says in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 that the gospel is veiled to those that are perishing. That means there is a veil over their hearts and minds so that they cannot see clearly. They cannot understand. Now I want to remind you of the main point. There's very, I have a very important nuance in this first point. It is this. It is the saving knowledge of God that has been hidden from the world. The saving knowledge of God. Now, the world is filled with the general revelation of God. Psalm 19 says that all of creation declares the glory of God. That God has written His name and His glory in all of His handiwork. Everything out here screams that God is great and God is good. All of, nature, all of creation points to a creator. All of nature's systems and structures point to a grand designer and a grand architect. All moral laws and moral intuitions point to a moral lawgiver. Paul makes the same point in Romans 1. When Paul says, for what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them for His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived since the creation of the world. Um, for since in the creation of the world, the things that have been made, so that they are without excuse. So all of creation points to the fact that there is a God. So there is something to be known about God in all of creation. John, but here's the issue. God's general revelation through creation and God's general revelation through our consciences were given to make us accountable to God so that we're without excuse. But that does not reveal the saving purposes of God. It does not bring the saving knowledge of God to us. In fact, you can know and believe all things about God and not be a Christian and not be part of God's family and not be in Christ, right? James says that even the demons believe and know that God exists and they are terrified of it. That doesn't mean they are forgiven or that they are in relationship with God. So Jesus' point here in Matthew 11 is that the saving knowledge of God cannot be reasoned to and it cannot be understood by everything we see and comprehend around us. And that was Paul's argument in Romans 10. How can you believe in the one you have not heard? So here's the, here's the question. Why must you share the gospel of Jesus with others using words? Because the saving knowledge of God cannot be known apart from God's special revelation to us in Jesus. You have to hear the name of Jesus. Not His general revelation in creation, but by His special revelation to us in Christ. And this is why... All throughout history, Christians have taken this very seriously, that the mission effort, the mission, mission zeal, the, the, the passion for sharing the gospel is driven by the truth that the New Testament teaches that the saving knowledge of God is hidden from the world. They cannot know it unless someone tells them. Now, I could give a thousand caveats about the light and the, the, of the knowledge of God and those that, are, that, that aren't in their right mind, those that are, those that are not old enough to be accountable for their actions, that's all fine. Take all the caveats you want, but the, still the biblical truth remains that for all, almost the, the vast majority of humanity, 99.9%, .9 the saving knowledge of God is hidden outside out from, from the world by God's purposes. Second part of the argument, number two, 
You need to see that in, in Matthew, Jesus wants you to know the absolute connection of knowing Jesus and knowing the Father, that these two things cannot be separated. You cannot separate knowing the Father from knowing Jesus and knowing Jesus from knowing the Father. Look at what Jesus says himself there at the end. He says, I thank you, Father, um, beginning of verse 25. He says, at that time, he says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them. So they've been revealed to the little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. And he says, all things have been handed over to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. So, notice first here that Jesus contrasts what has been hidden from the wise and understanding with what has been revealed to little children. Now, the contrast here, let me just make this plain, the contrast here isn't between those that are smart and those that are not smart. The contrast is between those who are pridefully self-sufficient, the wise and the understanding, and those who are, and the, it's between those who are pridefully self-sufficient, those who don't, and those who need, know they have. Let me slow down. Confuse myself. By the way, this is why I write this stuff down. I have to write it down, okay? So I can speak as clearly as possible. The contrast here isn't between smart and unsmart people, but between those who are pridefully self-sufficient and those who know they need a Savior. Little children are dependent. Little children know they must be cared for. Little children know that someone must come alongside them. And the wise and understanding live and say, I have no need for God. I can do this all on my own. I don't need to be forgiven. I'm actually Lord of my own life. That's the thing. The wise and understanding are completely fine and self-sufficient in themselves. So, those of us that are little children know our own limitations and weaknesses and troubles and struggles. And Jesus says that God chooses to oppose the proud but give grace to the humble. God chooses to reveal himself to those that are lowly and humble in spirit. But notice the very specific statement that Jesus makes in verse 27. This is the point. Jesus says, no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. In other words, no one can know God the Father apart from Jesus. That's Jesus' claim. Okay? This is an incredibly exclusive claim for Jesus to make. Jesus makes statements like this all over the Bible, which I'm going to get to in a minute. But this kind of claim is what makes C.S. Lewis famously give his trilemma that when you make statements like this, Jesus is either a lunatic, it means he's crazy. Nobody walks around saying the only way to go to God is through me. Or he's a liar that Jesus knows that's not true, but he's just deceiving the masses. Or he really is who he says he is. That Jesus really is absolutely claiming that I am the Son of God. I am the Messiah. I am the only way for you to have a relationship with the Father. And so, now listen. I didn't make this claim. Jesus did. So if you have an issue with what Jesus has said, your issue must be with Jesus. There are all sorts of people in this world 
They claim to have a relationship with God. They do. I believe in their freedom to exercise their, their I, I believe in freedom for them to exercise their religion however so they choose. But Jesus is the one making this kind of claim. There are all sorts of people who claim there are multiple paths to God and that all religions are basically the same, but Jesus did not teach that. Jesus taught that he was the exclusive path, again, to the saving knowledge of God. He alone was God's special revelation to humanity of the very nature and heart of God. And as I said, Jesus didn't just make this claim here. Listen to what Jesus says in John 6. Listen to this. This is one of those things where you have to come to grips with who Jesus is claiming to be. He says, Jesus said this, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you, that you, uh, but I have said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And listen to this. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall not lose anything of, what, of all that he has given to me, but raise him up at the last day. For this is the will of the Father. That everyone who looks to the Son and believes on Him shall have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. That's incredible claims. Jesus speaking to the Jews, the religious leaders. I'm the bread of life. If you want to come, you, you have to come to me if you're going to come to the Father. And listen to this. And the Jews grumbled and said, It says, and so the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I'm the bread of life who came down from heaven. And they said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I've come down from heaven? And Jesus answered, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. As it is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. Notice the connection Jesus says between knowing him and knowing the Father. You can't know the Father unless you know the one that's been sent by him. And you can't know the Son unless it's revealed to you by the Father. Jesus says in John 8, they said to him, where is your Father? And Jesus said, you neither know me nor my Father. If you knew me, you'd know the Father also. John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have also known my Father. That's the very next verse, John 14, 7. These claims are what led the apostles to repeat these same claims to those as they went out sharing the gospel. As Paul writes in 1 Timothy, there is one God, the Father, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. So here's the question, why must you share the gospel using words to others? Because according to Jesus, you cannot come to the Father unless you come through Him. You're not going to reason to that by just simply living a good moral life. That's what the New Testament teaches. Third, and this is the greatest news I can give you. So my first part of my argument, the, hit, the saving knowledge of God has been hidden from the world. You must know the absolute connection between knowing Jesus and knowing the Father, and knowing the Father and knowing Jesus. And then finally, Jesus alone reveals the Father and invites us to know the Father through him. Look at Jesus' invitation after he says this in verses 28 through 30. Jesus says, you can't know the Father unless you know me, and you can't know me unless the Father reveals it to you. And then what does Jesus immediately turn and say? Come to me. 
Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is why we must share Jesus. Jesus is the light who reveals the Father to us. So when people ask, when you're sharing the gospel with others, and people say, what is God like? How do you know what God is like? All you have to say is, look at Jesus. Jesus alone reveals the glory and the nature of the Father to us. When people say, how do you know what God is like? The simple answer is, He's just like Jesus. All, of the, all the rest of the New Testament is filled with that kind of language. Where it says in 2 Corinthians that I read earlier, it says, if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who, who are perishing. And then he says that, that we preach Jesus so that they can see the glory of Christ who is the image of God. We preach Jesus who is the Christ, the very image of God. 1 John 2 says, No one who denies the Son has the Father, but whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. He says, let what you have heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you have heard from the beginning abides in you, then you will abide in the Son and in the Father. This is the promise that He made to us. Hebrews 1, it says, Long ago at many times and many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He's spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom He created the world. Listen to this. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of His nature. Jesus invites us to know the Father by knowing Him. Come to Jesus and know Him and know the Father. This is the greatest news of the Gospel. It's not simply that Jesus is the only way to the Father. It is the truth that Jesus invites us and all people to come to Him. Jesus alone invites those of us who know their struggles, who know their failings, who know their sin, to come to Him and find rest for their troubled souls. And Jesus says if you come to him. You get the father also. And if you have the father. You have the son. And Jesus doesn't turn away any. Who come to him. He doesn't turn away any. Who come to him in repentance and faith. And who recognize their need. Notice what Jesus says. About the very heart and nature of God. Jesus says I am humble and meek and lowly, and I move towards the downcast and downtrodden. Jesus alone offers a universal invitation to come to Him for what your soul most desperately needs. So why must you share the gospel? Why must you share the gospel? Let me end where I began. Preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. Let's amend that to be more biblical. Preach the gospel at all times by sharing the name and glory of Jesus with others. That is how you share the gospel. Of course, we should live lives that point to gospel truth. Just like creation points to the creator. But we must share the gospel so that people know that Jesus is their only hope of salvation. And that no one can come to the Father except through Him. There is salvation in no one else. That's what Peter said in Acts chapter 4. There is salvation in no one else for there is no other name given under heaven among men, whereby we must be saved in the name of Jesus. And this is what drives our passion for missions. Of course people get offended that you would say Jesus is the only way to God. Of course people are offended at that. 
But what if somebody was offended that they're going down a river on a boat and they're about to go off of a cliff into eternity and die from going off the cliff and you just wave at them and go, it's going to be okay. I don't want you to be mad at me right before you die and, 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 and slip into eternity. Listen, just because the gospel offers an offense doesn't mean I have to be offensive. I want them to be rightly offended at the claims of Jesus, not in the way I act. I want to be, I want to be loving, kind, and gracious. Here, here. So let me say it this way. The gospel is offensive, so let's make sure that people are offended at the claims of Jesus as opposed to the actions and attitudes we display. Now, there are three guiding principles that we must live by. Three guiding principles we must live by if we're going to share the gospel with others. You need to be kind to all people. Amen? You be kind and gracious to all people. There's no need to be judgmental. There's no need to be angry. There's no need to be spiteful. There's no need to be hateful. There's no need to be condescending. There's no need for any of that. Jesus tells us to be kind to all people. I can share the absolute exclusive claims of Jesus in a way in which the offense isn't on me, but on what Jesus has said. Okay? It's not what you say, it's how you say it. Alright? So first, be kind to all people. Second, seek their good. Seek their welfare. Seek their eternal happiness. And if you seek their eternal happiness, that is going to lead you to the third principle, which is do all you can to tell them about Jesus. Do all you can to tell them about Jesus. So this morning, I want to just end there. That it's not enough to be a good moral person. It's not enough to come to church. It's not enough to be baptized. It's not enough to hang out in a, sub, a, a Christian subculture of the church. Every person in this room is absolutely accountable to God. And you must personally put your faith in Jesus. The faith of your parents won't save you. The faith of your husband and wife won't save you. The faith of your pastor won't save you. The faith of the Pope won't save you. The faith of whatever will not save you. Jesus says you must come to him. You must come to Christ. And if you do not come to Christ, you do not know the Father. And so this morning, I beg you, I implore you, come to Jesus. His arms are open wide. Find rest for your souls. Let's pray together. Father, I pray this has been encouraging. It's been challenging. But Father, it's also been biblical. It's been straightforward. And Father, that each of us in here will take account of our souls and get to the bottom of our faith and make sure at the bottom of it, it's not, uh, it's not our own righteousness. It's not our own goodness. It's not our own intellect. It's not our own reason. But Father, at the bottom, the anchor, the foundation of our souls is Jesus. And may we rest our faith in him. We pray this in Christ's name.